HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Japan Meets. I'm your host, Aki Koteba, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond the sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. My guest today is Andrea Fazzari, who is a Tokyo-based photographer in travel, uh, portraiture, and the culinary world. And Andrew just published a fascinating book called Tokyo New Wave, The Next Generation Tokyo Chefs, uh, 31 Chefs Defining Japanese Next Generation, from a 10-speed press. And it's actually coming out on March 13th. And we tend to think that Japan is dominated by traditional Japanese food, but it's full of global restaurants throughout the country. Andrea is one of the few um, people who have captured the real Japanese dining scene in that sense. So today we'll discuss the latest of the restaurant scenes in Japan and chefs in her beautiful and insightful book, and uh, uh, which also includes uh, recipes, by the way, and her unique experience of living in Japan. But before we start, Japan Eats is available on the Heritage Radio Network a website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and now uh, Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And also, uh, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. And you can email us at japaneats at heritageradionetwork.org or kikotema.com. Now let's start our conversation with Andrea Patsari. Hello, Andrea. Welcome Hello. to Japan Eats. Well, thank you so much for having me. So I'm very excited <coughs> to have you here. Thank you. Me too. So first of all, uh, where are you from? I am technically from New York City, but um, it's hard to say that I am specifically from here in a way because I love to travel and I've lived in a lot of other places. But mm. technically, I'm from New York City. Okay. So welcome back. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Right, so um, so you have a very impressive resume before you became a photographer, and Thank you. you worked at uh, Dolce and Gabbana. Yes, as a PR manager. Yes, and uh, Miramax Films. Yes. So, do you think the experience um, as a PR person has affected your current career? No, absolutely. I think everything before this moment has molded me in some way or determined the way I am now. And working in fashion was a very creative field, even though it was public relations. It's a very visual, creative field. And I think it 
it served me well as someone who notices a lot of things that other people don't notice, someone who loves the visual world. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my experiences meeting people, um, famous people, especially because I did celebrity services, that was part of my job, um, also taught me a lot about humanity and how the world works. And um, working in cinema, which is also a very visual field, um, I think they both led me in some way to ultimately be a photographer and now also writer and author. Mm, right. And I wish our listeners can see you because you look amazing. Oh, so, you're so very kind. I can Thank tell you. you from fashion you're business. You're so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So now, um, that sounds like it's related to photography to be in that industry, yes, right? Yes. So how did you um, become a photographer in 2003? It's a bit of an intricate story. Um, it happened a little bit before that. Um, but basically, I was in Paris um, at a shoe design school. I was I had left the fashion world and Miramax films. I had left them. Mm. And I thought that perhaps it was fashion design that I was more interested in because I didn't feel that fashion in the PR world anyway, public relations was something I wanted to continue with. It mm. felt, didn't feel feel authentic to me. Mm. I thought that for my career and for my future, there had to be something else out there. So I enrolled in a shoe design school. And while I was in Paris, my father uh, fell quite ill. And I got that cinematic call in the middle of the night saying I had to come to, to New York. So I came back. And uh, while I was here, Uh, There was a travel and leisure magazine on a coffee table at my parents' apartment, and I picked it up, and I was just looking through it. And I noticed that I felt a mixture of sort of nervousness and anxiety looking at the photo saying, I could do that. What? I want to do that. And photography was a hobby. And while my father was slowly improving, I decided, you know what, I'm going to call travel and leisure and see if I can get in there to speak to the photo editor. So I called, got the photo assistant, he answered, and I basically said, hello, my name is Andrea Fazari, and I'd like to learn how to become a photographer. And after calling and calling, and he called me back, he finally gave in and said, sure, can you come in tomorrow? So I got along so well with the photo editor, and to make a, a long story short, He said at the end of the interview, how would you like to work for me? Wow. So I learned a lot about photography with that photo editor, and um, I was sent on assignments, and I also met another photographer who would then become my boyfriend for many years, and we traveled the world together taking photos and shooting for magazines, and it was a lovely time. Mm, It's amazing, right? Maybe uh, your father... Saved you I think Korean. the universe made it a bit dramatic, but yes, it put me on the path that mm. is much more uh, that I'm much more comfortable with. I'm much happier as a photographer and author. Right, mm. and uh, persistence works. It's true. When you listen to that little voice, uh, when something also affects you in that way physically, I think it, you have to take notice. Mm. Mm. So you didn't go to school to study no, photography. No, I did not. Wow, I'm so. self-taught, and I also. I took one course at ICP uh, many years ago when I was just out of college and um, because it was a hobby, as I said. And then I, I, I was self-taught and also traveling with my then boyfriend, who was a photographer. Mm. I observed things with him when we would shoot together and I learned a lot about light with him. Wow. So that's how it happened, really. Mm. Mm. Right. So it sounds like photography is not just capturing images. It's so much beyond no, it's a lot about feeling and emotion and light. Mm-hmm. To me, it's it's very it's a very emotional occupation. Mm. Mm. So that makes sense that you published a book, which we're going to talk talk about in yes. a moment. So, um, so you have traveled eighty countries as a photographer, and uh, you lived in Italy, France, and Hong Kong, and of course Tokyo. And uh, so, w- why are you interested in the world outside? You know, growing up, um, my mother especially was very keen on fostering an interest in the world and myself and my sister. Uh, She was very um, interested in, in travel herself. And when we were very young, she and my father would take me and my sister out of school to go on trips. And um, I remember the first time I went to Europe, I was seven years old. And I've always had this outward vision, and it, it definitely was fostered by 
my mother in particular, I believe. And I always felt excited, curious, and interested, and very satisfied when I was on my trips. Like, mm -hmm. wow, the world is so fascinating. And the cultures, many of them were technically foreign, but felt very comfortable and familiar to me. Mm. And it's it's almost like an addiction. I love to to go and to, to go to places I've never seen and obviously to return to some that I have seen and visited. Um, but it's a very satisfying um, experience to travel. And you learn a ton, which you could never learn if you stay in one place. Um, so you learn from people? Usually, or how languages, or no, no, the I mean, the experience like you know, you can see the nature that's an experience, sure. That that's a different kind of experience because that that is perhaps more solitary. I think, um, that is also rewarding. Um, I think my experiences that have been more rewarding for me personally are interactions with other people, definitely, mm -hmm. in other countries. Tons of heartwarming things, which I remember uh, often and I carry with me through life. Um, things and experiences that I've been exposed to that have meant so much to me, that have been so honest and true. And that notion of what is authentic is what you find when you travel. And there's a lot of beauty out there, even though today I know things seem difficult in the world. Mm. There is a lot of beauty out there. Right. Well, I am. Um, I'm very curious about you know how you get so deeply into the culture because mm. you know, like I said, having publishing a book. Uh, mm. Three years after living in one country mm. is amazing. Yeah. So, so you just you know say, say you go one place, you break a conversation with somebody else. Or well, to tell you the truth, uh, with the, about Tokyo New Wave specifically, I did not move to Tokyo to write the book. Mm. I moved there on my own volition, my own desire to live there because I first experienced Tokyo and Japan in general when I visited approximately 18 years ago when my sister and brother-in-law were living there and my niece was born in Tokyo. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And from that trip, I was changed forever <laughs> because I there was something about it that was simultaneously foreign and quite familiar, as if I knew it already. Who knows if in a past life I was Japanese, I don't know. Mm. But I felt fascinated and comfortable, and I couldn't wait to get up each morning just to go out and explore. And so I wanted to return one day. I vowed I would return to live in Tokyo one day. Mm. And I lived in other places and finally made the decision almost three years ago now, to, to finally move to Tokyo. And it was a fantastic decision. And I honestly started going to restaurants. I When I first arrived, on I remember January 5th, I went to Ryugin, which is a very, very famous mm. three-star Michelin restaurant, Kaiseki, very mm -hmm. formal. Like Yamamoto. Yes, exactly, mm -hmm. who's wonderful. And then on January 6th, I had a reservation at Den, mm. which is Zayu Hasegawa, who is amazing and who has a whole different vibe and philosophy, which right. is fresh, young, um, very happy, right. very gregarious. Okay, so before we get there in the book, because I want to get into those details, um, so you decided to move to Tokyo for the sake because of... Because I loved it and I decided it was time. There's no assignment or anything? No. Wow. I just picked up and went. <laughs> really? So, but then you found a job or like, as well, a freelance? Well, as, as someone who works for myself, I have many different clients, so it's a little bit flexible. I mm. can move and still... Uh, get assignments and do projects no matter where I am. Yes, I, I had a boyfriend at the time who I broke up with and <laughs> decided it was time to move to Tokyo. Mm. Yeah. Right. So the first, your father, and then that's the next boyfriend. Well, the boyfriend, <laughs> I, I knew it was time to go and it was not the right situation. So, mm. But that just showed you how much conviction I had right. that it was now, it, it had to happen. Mm. Um, so the reason why I was bringing up Dan already is because you asked me, how is it that I was able to publish a book so quickly? Mm. I started posting photos on Instagram of my chefs of mm. the people I was meeting just for fun for me because I love food and food culture to me everything radiates from food mm. politics culture history right. anthropological issues for me are incredibly juicy and fascinating so I started to think that this would make an amazing book mm. so about a year later a little bit less I wrote a proposal and sent it 
right. to publishers, and they responded. Mm, okay, right. Because I was going to ask you why you became kind of specialized in the chefs and the uh, right. food world. Well, I've always had a special interest in food and food culture throughout my career as a photographer. Um, I, I have been a travel photographer, but I have a, yes, I, I tend to gravitate toward food and food culture. Um, so my first food assignment had been with Gourmet mm-hmm. many years ago. You remember Gourmet Magazine, mm-hmm. which was a beautiful magazine. And I shot a lot from that for them, and they sent me on some wonderful and memorable assignments all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a personal interest that I like a lot. So food as a subject, as an image, as mm-hmm. well as as a representative, um, you know, of a some, culture. Yeah. Yes. I think, as I said before, everything emanates from food mm. or everything comes to food. It, it could, you could say it both ways. Um, if we talk about food, we're also talking about farming. We're also talking about politics. We're also talking about uh, society. We're also talking about design. We're talking about uh, language. We're mm. talking about ceramics. We're talking about so many things. So for me, food is really at the core of everything in life. Right. And we are made of food. And we are. We are what we eat. <laughs> it's <Right>. true. <laughs> so, okay. So now let's talk about your book. And uh, so your new book, uh, Tokyo New Wave, yes. the next generation of Tokyo Thir- chefs. 31, genera- 31 chefs defining Japan's right. next so, generation. Sorry. Yep. Yes. So the, so, so uh, first of all, what is the is this book about like you know whoever has no idea what it is yes well Tokyo New Wave is about this generation of young chefs that are representing Tokyo and its food essentially that's that's what it is in its simplest form and a generation is technically 20 years and so the youngest person the youngest chef in the book is now 30 years old the oldest is probably 44 45 and I decided to keep it within that range. And I also wanted to represent and show what's going on in Tokyo beyond the traditional, as you said in your introduction, beyond sushi, although there are also sushi chefs in the book, uh, beyond yakitori, although there is a yakitori chef in the book, I wanted to also represent the chefs doing Italian food, uh, French food, and mixtures as well mm-hmm. and doing unique cuisines that are um, literally creations that only they could have created it's hard to stamp them with a label mm. uh, so tokyo is incredibly vibrant and it is much more than japanese cuisine mm. but so i included all of that in this book the 31 chefs are a great mixture of many different types of cuisine including what you know the many different japanese cuisines mm, yes they, mm. so whenever i see uh, japanese chefs who cook french or italian or mm-hmm. they they have the same mentality as sushi chefs mm. it's like a pursuit in pursuit of perfection yes and they try to preserve the tradition where they learned pasta making in italy exactly or they're extremely good at at detail and precision that's one of the reasons why i also wanted to live in japan the the detail the attention to detail is something that is unparalleled in the world i believe japan and the japanese are masters at um of observation mm. to tell you the truth so some of these chefs yes they went abroad and spent time abroad and they came back to japan changed personally quite changed and i address those things in my introductions my um my interviews as well and that personal transformation is extremely fascinating to me as well beyond just the food itself Mm. what they learned abroad and what they brought back and then how it's manifested in their restaurants in their food but also in the hospitality the service and the design the atmosphere Mm. Mm. right so I think the mindset of Japanese <coughs> chefs, regardless of the category of cuisines, mm-hmm. it's more like um, I think they really dip themselves in yes, the genre. They do. They submerge themselves completely or immerse themselves completely. Right. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Um, so the the book says new wave, talking yes. new wave. So mm-hmm. what do you mean by new wave? Exactly? Well, this generation is the new wave. They're different in many ways from their predecessors. I believe as a whole, they are much less rigid, uh, much, much less mysterious. They're much more open to the world. 
And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the, the changes that all of us are feeling in the world now, social media, uh, the use of Facebook, Instagram. I think these are really changing the society in Japan as well. Mm. And I think that a lot of them are very open uh, in addition to other cuisines and using other things they've learned by traveling, because also many of these chefs have traveled a lot more than their mm. predecessors or the previous generation, and, and this has changed their food. Right. No question. Mm. So okay. that's what New Wave is. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think, uh, like, chefs' conference, high preachers, I think, also. Yes, there are a lot of conferences now. Many of the chefs in my book um, are frequent attendees mm. of these food conferences around the world and right. they embrace the world now a lot more I believe than the previous generation uh, which preferred to, I think to stay in Japan mm. in and also presenters too like yes Right, absolutely. And, uh, I, I did uh, actually a translation for Seiji Yamamoto's audience. Oh you did? And it was so noble and so it, it's not it's not it's, it's not that it's hard to translate. It's hard to understand the concept. Like, yes. what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it was fascinating. Once you understand it, like, well, this person is something else. Absolutely. Right. So, okay. Um, so the book is full of those chefs, but mm -hmm. I had to pick 31 chefs. So yes. how did you do that? <laughs> I did it in many different, there were many different factors. Um, I'd say the biggest factor was purely feeling and emotion. I noticed how I felt when I was dining at the restaurant, any given restaurant, or how I felt in the company of the chef. I also looked at um, basically what the person was doing, what the chef was doing. Was it interesting? Uh, what aspects of the personality in front of me were fascinating or unique or interesting for a reader or for me personally were there things about the particular personality that were heartwarming um, some sort of personal story which I wanted to share with the world uh, because also delving this deeply into a chef's personal life and personal way of thinking is very unusual for a book about Japanese chefs um, so I I was keen on working with people who were willing to open themselves up to me. And some were much more open than others. And I, I excluded some chefs who I had met, whom I had met um, purely because they were not open to me. Mm. They would not allow me to photograph them in certain situations uh, because I have included many photos of the chefs outside of their restaurants, um, you know, not in the kitchen. So I wanted to show a bit of personal life, and some didn't want that. Uh, I excluded some chefs for um, seemingly not being interested or interacting with me very much, and I felt that I wanted to essentially partner with chefs who were very excited about the project. Um, so the chefs that I've included in the book... Um, I feel have something to say about Tokyo and I think they are valuable um, for conveying the soul of a city and in that way this book is very anthropological and very different. It is not a cookbook in the traditional way at all. It is a book about chefs and their lives and my personal interactions with them and it happens to have some recipes in it. Mm. Um, so I wanted to express through my words and through my photography what Tokyo has been to me. And it's a fresh take on the city, which I think is very interesting to share with the rest of the world. Mm, right. And um, yeah, actually, the images outside restaurant is mm -hmm. too, so refreshing yes. to see. So I wanted to show them as people. Right. <laughs> not just in chef whites or whatever outfit they do wear. They don't all wear chef whites. But um, I think this also brings a fresh intimacy and humanity to the depiction of Japanese chefs and Japanese culture. Because in the West, people are still mystified mm. by Japan. Uh, they find it to be... Um, either difficult or confusing or or so remote mm. and I feel that this book shows these uh, chefs as very relatable personalities right mm. right and then your text is full of your feelings yes. about them and yes. I really enjoy reading oh thank you that means a lot to me I've I've had such a uh, 
in in large part, Tokyo has touched my soul. Mm. And I think that this book is a love letter to Tokyo in particular, Japan in general, but Tokyo specifically. And I've been so moved there, and I've had so many experiences which um, affirm life, not to sound hokey, but this is also why I've traveled for so many years as a photographer, because it's so uh, beautiful and it, it, it explains essentially why we're alive and, and what this life is for. Mm. These experiences um, with these chefs um, as representatives of a faraway place um, that has become my home mm-hmm. um, means a lot to me. And mm-hmm. putting it on pages and, and publishing it and, and, and making it available for everyone to see is, is like a huge hug in a way mm-hmm. and a way to convey what I've been feeling. Right. So maybe the, what you're feeling from Tokyo, it's a, it's a lot of energy, but it's mm. not uh, it's in positively way the positive way it's like to, to me New York City is chaotic and yeah. out of control and I love that mm-hmm. but in Tokyo there's a, there's some like wave direction of uh, energy like waves and yes and also I I find Tokyo although it's also double the population if not more than New York City I find it to be quite peaceful mm-hmm. and sure if you go to Shibuya it's crazy but there's still this overriding sense of you know organization <laughs> you know that that precision and that uh, everything is on time and everything works well and and that is is very refreshing mm-hmm. it's nice to live in a country where everything works super right. well uh, but beyond that the the warmth and the um, sort of acceptance that I've encountered there and uh, has been very counter to what so many people think of Japan. So I, I find myself spending a lot of time contradicting people's ideas of, of, of Japan and Japanese people because they always say, oh, but they're not warm. They're not, they're cold. They're detached. They're, they're not like the Italians. You know, that's what they say. People say to me, and I say, just wait a minute. Not everyone expresses themselves, you know, the way an Italian person would. And, and just because someone is not um, overtly uh, very uh, ostentatious or with their feelings or very forthcoming or immediate with their feelings doesn't mean they're not feeling them. Mm-hmm. And you just need to step back a minute and take, take some time to just observe and not judge and wait because also you need to be patient in Japan. People take longer to trust. Right. And even within Japan, even Japanese to Japanese, you can t- say more to me about that, but I've noticed that it's not just with foreigners, but even from other people from other parts of Japan, with with like people from Tokyo, people in Hokkaido, it takes a while right. to foster a relationship. But once you do, it's there and it lasts. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, there's an assumption. It's like you know, lifetime employment kind of mindset. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I also think, you know, the immediate um, cheerful reaction to people is not always treated, regarded as um, valuable. Right. In a way, it's mm-hmm. kind of subdued mm-hmm. manner. Yes, and much actually, more reserved. Yeah, mm-hmm. and actually doing things, um, considering how you're feeling mm-hmm. in a quiet manner mm-hmm. is more relevant in yes. Japanese culture. Yes, it's just different. And I think tourists uh, have wonderful experiences when they go to, Bata- to Japan, but some are, tourists are also perplexed, I think. They don't understand. Um, but it's, it's, it's wise to just maybe read about it or try to ex- <laughs> it, understand it better and not judge so much because the Japanese, I'm here to say, are very feeling people mm. um, uh, and they don't need to be like the Italians. We'll leave, you know, the Italians are great as the Italians, but we'll want something different for the Japanese. Right. <laughs> yeah, like you, something, you know, like good restaurant service. They don't mm-hmm. seem to be pay, paying attention to you, but that... They do. In they Japan? Really, yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I was just telling you before we started the show that most Japanese chefs most definitely have eyes at the back of their head. They they feel things. It's, it's a lot more about subtlety. And, you know, there are some difficulties. Like the use of silence in Japan can be very difficult to understand. And um, I struggle with that still sometimes to interpret what silence in a response can mean because it, it can be 
it can be many things. Mm. And uh, that's something you have to get used to a bit. Right. Mm. Yeah. And all those things, uh, there's a word, kukyoyam, reading yes. the air. Yes. Mm. That, I love that. I love that. Um, because I do feel that a lot of people in Japan can read the air very well. Mm. And I miss that when I'm outside of Japan. Because they're also more in tune with not wanting to bother others. So in a public sphere, mm. things function extremely well. Because there is that feeling of not um, disturbing others. Whether on the subway, I, people are not loud. You know, things, just things like that. Um, and that also uh, feeds into the group mentality which is very different from ours mm. um, or the one in the west in general which is more of the individual right. um, so that's another topic but mm. the all of this fits into the book and and um, that's why it's much more than a book about food it's about all of these things mm-hmm. mm. right yeah so okay so uh, we will have a break here and then after that we're going to discuss all those individual chefs in the book with pleasure yeah so uh, listeners please stay with us thank you today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Plus, the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats Broadcasting Live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Andrew Vazari, who is a Tokyo-based photographer in travel, portraiture, and the culinary world. And she just published a fascinating book called Tokyo New Wave, 31 Chefs Defining Japan's Next Generation, from a 10-speed press. Um, so let's talk about the chefs. Sure. Uh, so first of all, I was uh, interested in uh, uh, Chef Hiroyasu Kawate mm. of uh, Full for Edge. Uh-huh. And uh, using the book, uh, Kawate's foods, uh, Food French Fusion, um, or Japanese French. I wouldn't call it either one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you said, so, so you say, I don't. No. And that would be yes. limit the breath and the sense yes, of his cuisine. It would. Right. So can you detail what you mean by that? Kawate-san is is very talented. I go to his restaurant perhaps uh, at least once a month. When I arrived the first time, I had this feeling that sort of overtook me of being in a place that was so different and unique than other restaurants I had experienced until then. Uh, He did spend a year in France. However, his dishes, to me, are not French. He uses some French techniques to cook, but he also uses many others, and he uses all Japanese ingredients. Mm. He is someone who's very linked to the land. I mean, he can talk to you about the farmers and the products for hours. And he's someone who has a very sophisticated, urbane-looking restaurant that is extremely open, and it's rather large for Tokyo, um, and it's stylish. But he's someone who loves wearing flip-flops and, you know, getting dirty, and he loves to walk barefoot in the dirt. Um, And he's very refreshing because he is incredibly energetic, incredibly enthusiastic about what he does, and... It's so organic for him 
And his style of plating is very minimalistic. He uses these gorgeous ceramics, which also reeled me in immediately. And I went to visit his ceramicist, mm. uh, who lives on the outskirts of Tokyo. And um, I just found that everything had so much feeling. Everything felt so profound. Mm. Um, every detail had an intention, and it was to convey a sense of place and to convey the farmers who he respects so much. And I left feeling dazzled. I felt nourished beyond the food itself. Wow. And it's the aesthetics, the plating, and also his flavors, because he can cook things in such a perfect manner. Mm. Um, everything that I ate, um, I found was perfectly done as far as the like the game or the meat or the fish or the vegetables um very clean uh nothing was dry ever um everything was moist everything mm. was um so well thought out and also his use of color and texture is just very unique and beautiful mm, interesting and also heard uh, he worked under uh, Shuzo Kishida, who's from Kantesans, yes. which is very fine dining. Yes. And uh, Kishida-san himself trained at, uh, and, you know, Pascal in the yes. French restaurants. Right? Yes. And then the other chef he worked for was uh, Blue, uh, the Bourguignon with like, Chef Kikuchi's no whole, like, really gutsy, mm -hmm. you know. So, like, he sounds like he really combined those different schools of he food. Did. He did. Those have influenced him in addition to his own sort of essence which comes across it's not every day when you go to a restaurant that you can get a clear sense of the chef it's not always the case mm. it just isn't right. to me anyway and when you go to Florilege it comes through crystal clear wow. and I just felt excited by what he gives me when I go so I continue to go really yeah wow. so next time I'll give you a call and <laughs> okay. we can go together sounds good Okay, so uh, how about uh, uh, the Takashi Sugita of Nihonbashi um, Kakigara Chou Sugita? Yes, I wanted to mention him because I, I go for sushi. He's a sushi master, a sushi shokunin, and I go for sushi very rarely. I go once every oh, 10 months to a year. Mm. And when I go, I go to some very special, special, special sushi chefs. Um, Sugita is one of them. He is a chef with great soul, I would say. Mm. My experience there, which was, first of all, it was very difficult to, to secure a seat. Uh, I went with a chef friend of mine from Kyoto, actually, mm. Um, who was delighted to go. He's, he's from Kyoto. He couldn't get a booking. <laughs> um, so we went together, and I was literally moved by my experience at Sugita. And it's because, again, like Kawate-san in a way, you sense who he is. Now, Sugita-san lives and works by the principles of the samurai or the warrior, and it's called Bushido. Mm. And... You feel it when he comes out to greet all of the guests at the beginning of the meal. Uh, in his geta, you hear the click, click, click on the floor, and he comes out. And he, combined with his kind face, which you'll see in the book, um, he comes across as someone who is so solid mm. and so devout to his craft and someone who is a steady... Uh, very steady emotionally you know his personality is extremely strong and steady and his technique is so beautiful with his knives mm. and of course the presentation the, the flavors with the fish and when I went to say goodbye to him at the end of the meal and I bowed and I I, I started to cry wow. I was so moved by it it, it that, that does not happen every day mm. <laughs> <laughs> and he 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 wasn't startled, but he he was taken a little bit aback, mm. and then he very much realized what was happening and appreciated it because he touched something within me that was again going back to what we said at the beginning that authenticity, that sense of place, mm. and something so beautiful and unique to Japan because what he gives you, you you will not find outside of mm. Japan. You will not 
You just mm-hmm. can't because it's all the details that you find when you're there. Mm. Right. So I think uh, I did some research and he's known for his spirit of hospitality. Omotenashi. Mm. Yes. He does the source of that perfection. Mm. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Mm. He's special. He's more traditional uh, than some of the others in the book, mm. uh, but still part of this, this generation. Right. Mm. Okay. Um, so I'm just like 31 chefs. I, I have to pick some, but just a few. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about the Koji Koizumi of Kohaku? Yes, he's interesting. He's only 35. Um, he may be 36 at this moment. Uh, he's very young. He's doing kaiseki, and um, he his restaurant is gorgeous inside. It's it's it feels like an art gallery, and I think that his spirit. Is, in, is very uniquely Japanese because when he cooks, he talks to me about 24 seasons, which are his point of reference.、Mm. Uh, there are even more seasons than that, apparently, but these are the 24 micro seasons which dictate how he cooks, what he cooks, when he cooks. And he talked to me about the spirit of community which、mm. surrounds what he does, the potters, the purveyors. And His restaurant is extremely, I, it's extremely forward thinking in a way because he's bringing kaiseki into the next century, if that's possible. I mean, we're, we're still toward the beginning of this century, but I see the future of kaiseki when I dine at、mm, Kohaku. That's interesting. Yes, because it doesn't feel like. His mentors. I've been to Ishikawa's restaurant. It doesn't feel the same.、Mm. Um, his is more, he also uses ingredients from all over the world,、mm. not just Japanese. And his philosophy somehow imparts、um, a unique take on kaiseki,、mm. uh, which is fascinating and, and it's quite sophisticated, his restaurant.、Mm. So,、mm. not just the、uh, ingredients, but the style wise? Style,、so. absolutely. Uh, the physical space, when you enter, you know you're not in, in the, the most traditional of kaiseki restaurants,、mm-hmm. that this is someone who's doing something a bit different,、mm-hmm. but still very tied to the tradition. Right.、Uh, Interesting.、Mm-hmm. Right.、Um, yeah, so kaiseki is known to be not changing,、mm-hmm. although I think Kyoto kaiseki is really trying to. Advance、mm. in their own way. I think there are some chefs in Tokyo that are advancing it.、Mm. That's why it's different and it's fresh and it's exciting to go、mm. to his restaurant. I mean, it's beautiful to go to the very traditional ones as well. I mean, there's nothing more stunning than a kaiseki experience.、Uh, but Kohaku, again, the pottery, all the details that come together, how you're greeted, the other staff that works there, what they're wearing. I mean,、mm. all of these details. Make your experience.、Right. And so、uh, when I talk to him, I, you can read the chapter, but I reference another artist、uh, when I talk about him, which I think is, is a very、um, interesting way to illustrate、mm. who, who Koizumi is. Right.、Mm. Okay.、Um, so, the, yeah, I, I th- as far as I think the essence of Kaiseki is seasonality. Yes. So, as far as it's there, it's Kaiseki Vigawas. Yes, right. absolutely. Right. And it、uh, has to make sense and sounds like he's a person I should look for. Yes, you should. Right. And、uh, yeah, one other chef I was really curious, you know, Toshifumi、uh, Nakahigashi.、Mm-hmm. And his brother came to the show. Ah, yes, he works with Odo san, no? At Kajitsu. Yeah, used yes, to, used yeah, to. Yeah, used to. Right. Yes. So, and, you know, his brother is doing,、uh, Toshifumi san's brother is.、Um, um, You know, Atsushi, Atsushi came to the show and he's doing Japanese.、Yeah. And、uh, Toshifumi san、yes. in Tokyo, he is doing Italian. Italian, yes, with, is, with the Japanese flair. And his father,、yeah. and both their father,、yeah. is really interesting. Yes. Like a forager slash、yes. chef in yes. Kyoto. Yes. And I went to Nakahigashi,、um, to his father's restaurant in Kyoto.、Mm. I went in December.、Wow. And it was stunning. It was very beautiful. And he's funny. He has a great sense of humor.、Mm. Uh, but Toshifumi san in Tokyo, he forages. He forages、mm. most days. Early in the morning, you'll find him in the outskirts of Tokyo <laughs> foraging for vegetables and interesting things. So he's very much a forager.、Mm. Um, he's lovely. It's, he's such a joyous person. I love speaking to him. And he, we speak in Italian.、Uh, he lived in Italy and、uh, he's charming. 
and his restaurant is also very charming. It's very small and and tones of gray, uh, and teal blue and white. It's very stylish. I I, I like it with these hanging lights. You can mm. see a photo of it in the book. Right. And um, he is in love with Italy, and so his dishes are extremely creative because he also has this Japanese flair. Mm. Uh, and so he is a good example of what's happening in Tokyo, I, I do believe. Mm. Mm. It's a nice overlap, right? Because Italian cuisine and Japanese cuisine tend to be simpler mm-hmm. approach to ingredients, ingredients-based mm. and more directly from like fewer the better. Few, yes. Um, you don't want it to be too bogged down with too many different flavors and you want to respect the ingredients. Mm. And I talk about that in my introduction to Toshifumi-san. We talked at length about the compatibility of Italian and Japanese cuisine. Mm. It was a very interesting time with him. I enjoy his company. Right. Mm. Okay. So that's another place I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I can keep talking about more chefs, but uh, uh, let's talk about... You told me about you're planning to have some collaboration dinner after you go back yes, to Japan. Yes, um, I've planned a series of approximately eight collaboration dinners that will begin on April 6th uh, in Tokyo. And I paired chefs from the book together to cook for the first time together um, for a dinner in which the each guest will receive a copy of the book. And then I think it will make for a very interesting week or more of dinner events mm. with food and dishes which have never been tried or tasted before. Right. Uh, so will you randomly pick and choose which chef to work together? I just had a feeling. Um, I thought, well, I picked a chef and thought, I really would like him to do a dinner. Who could I match him with? Mm. And then I was looking at the list and thinking, and again, so much of what I do is about feeling. Mm. So I would then propose to the chef, what do you think of doing a dinner with so-and-so what do you do you like that idea are you friendly do you know each other you know ask those basic questions and so far everyone except one said yes Mm. so they think it's an interesting opportunity and many of these chefs are i think curious and interested in new experiences with other chefs in tokyo i think uh in the states it's more common to have collaboration dinners Mm. but in japan i think first of all the the food industry tend to be more secretive and Mm. then now, younger generations and new age chefs. They're doing a lot, to right. tell you the truth. Like, like Zayu-san, Den, he does a lot. Mm. Um, Koate-san does a lot. They love to work with chefs from abroad and also within Japan. Mm. Um, I think it's becoming more common. So I'm really excited to see what comes of it. Right. Yeah. Do you have any example? Good example of uh, the, the pairing of different types of chefs? Yes, I chose... Um, Nakahara-san, who's a yakiniku chef, to to do a collaboration with Takazawa-san, who is a molecular gastronomy chef. <laughs> and so we're going to see what comes out of that. Mm. And uh. you told me also, it's not just first course chef A, second course chef B. It's like mm. one one dish integrated right. by two chefs. Yes, it's, it's integration, large mm. part. I mean, some chefs might do a couple separate, but... Most of them have said that they'd like to come up with original dishes. Mm. So it's exciting. It's very different. Right. Mm. Okay. So uh, where can we find that information if uh, our listeners want to participate? Well, I'm going to be posting on uh, my Instagram, which is at Tokyo underscore new underscore wave. If you just put in Tokyo New Wave, you'll find it. We're going to be announcing on there. And then the chefs themselves will post. And I'll start posting announcements approximately a month before. So soon I'll be Mm -hmm. posting the announcements. And um, at TokyoNewWave.com, I have also information about um, sweepstakes that we're doing, which is very exciting. Win a trip to Tokyo. Wow. With all Nippon Airways. Oh, wow. Yes. And the Four Seasons Hotel, Tokyo. Nice. Yes. So that just launched today. Really? Yes. Oh, this now you have to watch. Yeah, so <laughs> that's exciting too. Mm, great. Mm. So what's your plan? You're going to stay in Tokyo a while? Or? I would like to, yes. I'm I'm happy there and it's super interesting. And um, I'm happy there, you know, for now. We'll see what happens. I yeah. am a wandering spirit, but <laughs> I think it's an infinitely interesting in Japan. Mm. Okay, so to see update, um, should we just follow Tokyo New Wave? Yes, you can follow Tokyo New Wave on Instagram. 
Instagram uh, and you can check out tokinowave.com. Yes. Okay, great. And the listeners, I, the book is really um, fascinating and in, very insightful. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I highly recommend that you're going to uh, check it out. So it's going to come um, be released on March 13th. Right. right. In the States. Globally. Globally. Yes, it's it's available all over the world. Mm, you have to have a big celebration. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Right. Okay, so uh, thank you for joining us today, Andrea. Thank you so much. I loved it. So uh, well, hopefully you can come back. I would love that. So, uh, listeners, um, the, um, if you have any questions or comments about the show or show guests, um, uh, please let us know. Uh, it's uh, we can you, you can email us Japanese at theheritagevideonetwork.org or akikadema.com. And uh, Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritagevideonetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. And our engineer today was uh, Peter Harsh. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.